Since time immemorial, indigenous people have lived, traveled, and traded in the Puget Sound region. The Donation Land Act of 1850 to encourage westward expansion allowed American settlers to claim these traditional native lands. The explosion of immigration into the region that followed forced the U.S. government into a fraught treaty-making process with local tribes. The original terms of the Medicine Creek Treaty were inadequate and ultimately unaccepted by tribal leaders resulting in war. The Indigenous Voices podcast is an extension of the award-winning Puget Sound Treaty War Panel series and Fort Nisqually Living History Museum. The podcast advances tribal voices in the telling of Puget Sound history and shares tribal knowledge and expertise with wider audiences. Billy Frank Jr. Nisqually Wildlife Refuge formerly Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge, was established in 1974 as part of the National Park Service Registry of National Landmarks. The refuge is also the site of the 1854 Medicine Creek Treaty signing. In episode 10, we discuss how tribal sovereignty relates to the refuge, how changes in the landscape affects sense of place, and ongoing efforts to protect sacred land. Billy Frank Jr. was known for his activism during the Second Treaty War, also known as the Fishing Wars. Frank organized fissions, which led to the Bolt Decision of 1974, a federal court case that reaffirmed tribal fishing rights. Frank was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2015. In 2021, Washington Governor Jay Inslee signed legislation to honor Frank with a statue in the National Statuary Hall in D.C. Once complete, the statue will replace that of Marcus Whitman, an early missionary to the region. My name is Warren King George with the Muckleshoot Indian Tribe. Nancy Bullchild, Director of Nisqually Archives in Tippo, Nisqually Elder, Nisqually Member. In this episode, and our previous episode, we also hear from Curtis Bullchild, Archives Tech, Nisqually Tribe. It's an easy statement to make um, the importance and the value of place. But when you actually go to these locations, uh, these place names that the ethnographers gathered, these river systems that our elders talk about uh, with, uh, you know, sharing their testimonies of, of, of uh, gathering the resources, the salmon and the trout, and the clam beds on the saltwater beaches it's easy to you know it's easy a statement to make but when you're actually out there doing it when you're you're cleaning the salmon that your your uncles caught or your your father caught and you're dressing it out and you're thinking to yourself wow what an experience um, re- replicating uh, an event or replicating a, an activity that has been occurring in this area for over 14,000 years. Native Americans get to claim that. We own that statement that uh, our ancestors have been here since the Ice Age, uh, according to 
the scientists and the data gatherers, but according to our elders, their data is true. I like that statement that their data supports the elders' statements, that what they've been saying all along about the value of, of this area. Once you come out to these special locations, it's easy to see why people would call this place home. I think a lot of people would be astonished uh, to come out to the Delta and the Squally Delta. I mean, if you could uh, go visit it, uh, say, 15 years ago, and you know, it looked completely different as to um, because of, of good work uh, of our warriors, uh, even our modern day warriors, uh, we're reaping the benefits of those efforts today. You know, there's lots of people who do lots of good things. They're just not public about it. Uh, on, on every river system, in every village today that exists, uh, there's lots of good work that's being done. And what this does is set a tone. What this does is it, it reminds our European neighbors that you know, this is the kind of, of, uh, of I want to say, I don't want to say power, but this is the kind of authority that, that tribal warriors wield in the 21st century. We're able to, to reverse a lot of the uh, impacts that were done over several hundred years of poor management, poor decisions, really bad decisions. Uh, and so it, it, it's work by our, our modern day warriors that really grabbed, this, grabbed these uh, uh, projects by, by the head and, and say, look, this is what we need to do. This is how it has to be done. And this is when it needs to be done. Thank goodness for them. You know, Thank goodness for their, for their strong hearts. Uh, and we're all benefits of it now. We all, regardless of your skin color, take a look around. Take a look at the visitors that come to this Delta today. They're reaping the benefits of these good people, of their good work. That, that kind of gives you a, a, a kind of a, a gauge. Uh, it helps uh, people understand uh, our connection our Native American connection to wonderful, beautiful places like this on how much we value uh, uh, Mother Nature and her, her generosity. Like what, what Warren is saying about the warriors, you're a warrior for different reasons, different efforts, but with Billy, one of the things I can say is it was a life, you know, it was his life that he was fighting for. It wasn't really that he wanted all the fish, you know, that he wanted all of this. It was just he wanted to live, you know. He wanted to support his family. That a lot of people don't understand. Some of these warriors, they don't have degrees. You know, they don't have college degrees or these big... But they did what was necessary. When my mom was chairman, it was the same way. She went out and had no idea of what she was supposed to be doing, but she just knew she had to help her people. So you get a lot of these people in these tribes that step up regardless if they make mistakes or what they have to do and that was with him it was more his life that he was fighting for because he knew he needed to you know help his family you know the next generation and the tribe and because of that this place has come back almost to where it was when the tribes were here the settlers came in took the land diked and made farms 
And now you're getting back to where the tribes are taking back over this land that meant a lot to them. And now the non-natives are contributing with them. And I remember Billy always saying that, you know, let's come to the table and discuss this. And so you do have, and even in my job in archives, you get a lot of non-native people that are coming like, what are you guys gonna do? What is Nisqually doing on this? Because we wanna support you. You know, now it's turned to where a lot of these others groups and people come to the tribes and say, you know, how can we support? How can we help? Because we know this is important to you and it's important to us. For a while, that's not how it was. You know, so there's, there's just this effort now to, you know, join forces and really save and protect. You know, climate change is a big one when they're looking to tribes to help with that because everything affects it. It's not just pollution in the, the air, everything. I kind of look at it when Leshai did it, you know, a lot of the leaders joined him because they knew he would step up. And so it's the same with Billy. It was just, he put his foot in the door and they came along and they all did the same thing. You know, they spoke up, but they were listened to, you know, they were heard. So it really helped the tribes. I think Leshai would have been a lot like Billy. Yeah. The way I remember Billy, is, you know, you knew him as this political figure or this figure that was, you know, bigger than most people. But then he had this human side of, because he was really good friends with my grandfather, so he treated me really good. So you had this other side of him, and we all know it from, from growing up with him. He always said, God damn it, you know, just <laughs> a certain way. So we all know that, and that's the thing we know about him, you know, the personal stuff about who yeah. Billy was. And I think Chief Lachey would have been a lot, really similar. You know, he would have been a big figure, but to his people, he would have been this down-to-earth small person, you know, really easily get along with and, and, and to look up to for, for guidance or, you know, any kind of answering any question that needed to be answered. And that's how, like, Billy went in, like we were talking about with Les Shine Stevens. That was the same way with Billy. It was like, I'm going to go in and find out what's the problem, what's the issue, how can we fix this, not oh, no. just, I want to be right, I want to be noticed, you know, that kind of stuff. And like I was saying, in our time, when we were younger, it didn't matter if you didn't see him for a month. He would come up to you, like, how you been? You know, I mean, he would stop anywhere and talk to you and just down there. He was, he was never too busy for that. But, you know, it was just like you'd seen him yesterday. That's just the type of person he was. But, like I said, he got to know people and know what your passion was and then really worked with you to help fix some of these things or direct you get you into the you know the people that you should be talking to so that was really a good you know he was just there when you know like back in dc as that person that people knew you could go to him and he would try to help direct you to where you should be and where you needed to go you know that uh you know, that kind of a background buzz you can hear uh, the, the tires on the pavement, and um, okay. yeah, and the train that the train system runs right over the river there too. But yes, it does. Uh, it does pollute. It does um, water down what what should be a a, a true um, uh, organic experience. I, you don't get that now. Right? I mean, we actually we can get the odor now, right? You can smell the beach. You can smell the delta. And you can hear the gulls once in a while. But like Nutsi said, this place is still recovering. This place is still uh, healing up uh, over decades and decades, several decades of abuse and misuse, mismanagement. And so, you know, we'll, we'll get there. Mother Nature will get there. It's just going to take some time. But I, 
but I think that that those are impactful. Those ambient noises um, are polluted by um, our our busy lifestyles. This 21st century lifestyle is chaotic, and that's being polite. Um, and, and that you know, that lifestyle is now having an impact on our on our natural beauty, on our on our experiences that we should be having. But you know what? Uh, I'll take this. I'll take this for now. Uh, my generation, uh, uh, we can we can live with this. But I expect it to get better. I expect it. It'll be it'll be a different experience. You come out here, um, uh, our grandchildren, if, when they come out here in Netsi, um, when our grandkids come out here and they're of age and mature and have families of their own, and they come out for a day trip out here, their experience is going to be different, but the same as well. They're going to know that this uh, this place is special and it's unique, and it has a place and a role in our in our history and in our lives and in our future. And that and that's a big part of it because there are some issues with this area now. They're doing that study, and it's been I think it's been on the news, um, trying to build a bridge to span because it's forcing the river to go unnatural and that will explode and everything's going to be dangerous for that. Also, um, the railroads and my husband's really good at that. As soon as he sees them with the oil or the gold, he's those darn, (laughs) you know, and people don't realize it's just, they go by, they're right along the water. They wrecked. People don't really absorb the danger, how bad that can be. We're looking at it as they're going to go into our river. They're going to affect our fishing and in the environment. So there's a lot of things like that with the railroad that are still, you know, really, really serious for this climate change issue because that's all it takes is just one. It it just wipes out a whole little area. And with my mom, she's just when she was young, she would say, you know, these creeks are so full of fish, you could walk across their backs. I can't even imagine that. You know, I just cannot imagine that. To, to where we are today it's like you know what happened you know they're not there anymore and it's really scary to think that just a lot of this stuff won't exist if we don't do something about it so like i said it's good that these areas are coming back and that there are other groups that are joining tribes to make it happen that it can be here for our next generation and not as way it used to be but as, you know as close as it can get DNR and the tribe, Nisqually tribe, will be the primary manager of the of this area. And so, what it does is it creates acre, acres and acres and acres of of critical habitat. What what some some biologists and some naturalists and some ecologists might call critical habitat. You know, it just doesn't exist anywhere because of our need for. Uh, impervious surface urban sprawl so it's uh, priceless it's it's it really is priceless to be able to see something like this um, not to mention all the the benefits of the natural resources so what it does is uh, create opportunities for treaty rights you know that's going to Im- improve here and what it does is it uh, reinforces the uh, idea and reinforces that promise that uh, uh, the 
the federally recognized tribes in this river system have a treaty right and have a right to access this uh, unencumbered without any any right without anybody getting involved and trying to block their opportunity to feed their families to enjoy a, a crab dinner enjoy a, a fresh pot of chowder or to enjoy a smoked salmon or a fresh crab apple that's been you know my biggest complaint on I know you guys want this changed I know you want tribes involved but yet you still have these regulations that we're having to deal with that they should be working on trying to change that so that we can come in with the freedom to do a lot of the stuff we do we came here once with the teachers and talked about that they were like well where were you guys where were you guys at where was this place? we're like we're all over here you know there's no if you go into territory there were no boundaries to the places that the tribes went you know and that pertains to all tribes so it's really hard because they're saying well but you didn't own this part like frank's landing came up and it's like that was all a part of this you know when you look at this so there's not that understanding of going to the original treaty and looking at what was there as to what the territory was as opposed to when they did allotments when they did you know the donation land act those are what is fresh in people's mind but they can't really wipe that slate clean and say wait you guys owned all of this it's like yes we did but it's really important for tribes to be very involved. Like I said, there's times when I'm like, I don't want to do this, but if I don't, who will, you know? And you're, you're thinking of the next generation and that's why I bring my son because it's like, I want you to hear this thing. I want you to see what we're talking about. We have to be involved. Can't just decide what we should know. It's like, no, you send us everything. You know, you involve us in everything because it's important to us. And the tribe's voices have to be heard but you also just have to be involved. I'm, you know, like I tell my son, I can't be everywhere, so I need you there to, if I need to send you to a meeting to speak up, I send other staff that I know are tribal. It's like, you need to go and I know it's hard, you know, you don't want to speak up, but it's, it's important for your voice to be heard. But that is, you know, tribes really need to just stay on it. And like I say, some of the meetings I go to, I'm like, I don't have no say, but I just want them to know I'm watching because you have to, because otherwise they just slide things by you. And it's like, I didn't hear about that. So um, I think a lot of the native people that are now in government are making a lot of things possible. And we really need to jump at that as tribes. They're there to help. So let's help them this push of things that need to happen and get these things done. And that's like I talk about when you go before the treaty, you know, there was peace. They got along, the settlers and the, the, tri the tribal people, but that's not written, except for like settlers that want to tell their stories. Even the kids, you know, will tell their stories of growing up among all the tribes. And, you know, they're not harsh at all. And, you know, like I said, a lot of them got saved because of that. Like I said, a lot of these people, if they weren't fed by the tribes, they wouldn't exist. But um, there's a lot of that that, you know, could contribute to that. But everything now, it's got to be written documentation and tribes didn't do that except for when you get the oral history from your ancestors and your relations, stories of what happened there. I mean, once you step foot here and once you get the essence of this delta, of this river system and this tributary, you know, it's a completely different feeling altogether. And you get to understand why uh, people fought for it, why people bled for it, why people died for it.
most of the uh, European neighbors in this region and this area, students would benefit from from a field trip to this area. I, I I'm a I'm a firm believer in uh, full immersion teaching style technique, and it it would benefit everyone if they they could experience this the wind the south wind that we're feeling right now. Uh, I'm not so crazy about the ambient noise, but but yeah, I I think it'd be beneficial for everyone if they could have a lunch out here. As the truth get out there you know of what really happened and what really went on when I talk to consultants I'm always telling them I want you to fill in the missing pieces you know there's missing pieces that people don't understand because they just think treaty and you have a reservation it's like no there's a lot of missing information that's not there that hasn't come out that you need to understand in order to get the whole story and then you, it puts a place of connected to that story or to that that truth because that's not what's happened in years and years. It's just the history has been taught from one way that you learned in school. There's a lot of things missing there that weren't talked about, weren't told. And once you see that, you can get groups out here to say, "Oh, now I understand. You know, now I get it." But without seeing the place and without knowing all of this, the, the correct history you still have this thing of, well, what is your problem? You know, why do tribes, you know, do all this? They got this, they have that. It's that same old saying now with, as soon as tribe gets land, they're gonna, you're gonna put a casino there? And it's like, no, it could be our housing. It could be something. It's that stereotype that just has changed. Now it's a different stereotype and you try to get rid of that, but it's getting them to know, you know, this is what happened here. The whole story, not just parts of it that has been taught. And then you see the place and you understand. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us monthly as we continue the conversation among diverse communities impacted by the treaty war and its aftermath. To learn more about the Puget Sound Treaty War, visit our tribal partner websites and fortnesquali.org, where you can watch our four-part panel series on the conflict. This podcast is generously supported by the Tacoma Historic Preservation Office and the Tacoma Arts Commission. Music by Vincent Johnson, Nooksack Lummy, and Nishani Johnson, Jamestown Sklalem Lummy. <laughs> <laughs>